0: Stay.
1: afternoon, listeners. I am thrilled to introduce to you a good friend and colleague of mine, the Reverend Patrick Hall, uh, who has been a friend. Patrick, I was trying to remember how many years it has been um, since we met each other, and I couldn't come up with a number. Uh, But I will just tell you my my fondest days with Patrick um, were when we both served as college missioners in the Diocese of Texas. When I was at the University of Texas, Patrick was at Rice and um, we got into some shenanigans together, <laughs> all for the glory yeah. of God, of course. <laughs> but um, Patrick is also, has remained a dear friend. He is one of the most brilliant minds in the church that I know. And I am so grateful that he is taking the time to be with us this afternoon and, and to share a little bit about his ministry um, and his thoughts on the topic of forgiveness. So Patrick, thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Beth.
1: Yeah. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about your current context for ministry, please? Sure.
2: Yeah. So I, uh, for the last two years, have been serving as the, the rector of, of Epiphany Church in Houston. Uh, Epiphany is, is, a, is, is a really fascinating place. It is unlike pretty much any Episcopal church that I think I've ever been a part of. It's in Southwest Houston, uh, which is a part of of the city that was a burgeoning suburb um, in the 60s and 70s and was the part of the city that was most uh, most severely impacted by the oil bust that happened in the early 80s. And so um, this part of Houston, Southwest Houston, went from being a predominantly white uh, middle to upper middle class suburb uh, to being a completely different kind of community within sort of a 10 year period. Um, and so the Southwest Houston that is today uh, is profoundly diverse and basically every way that you could use that word, it's politically diverse, it's socioeconomically diverse, it's culturally diverse, it's racially diverse. Um, it is this messy uh, overlap of various kinds of communities um, and Epiphany has really struggled to try to figure out how to be an Episcopal church in the midst of that. Um, and unlike a lot of Episcopal churches in uh, neighborhoods that have, that have kind of flashed into a profound amount of diversity, Epiphany actually does represent the diversity of its neighborhood really well. So um, we have kind of a, a core of old school uh, folks who have stuck around from before the oil bust. Um, who are are uh, age, aging and aged uh, white folks of middle and upper middle class socioeconomic status who are all sort of like, you know, a lot of them are very conservative. We have some Trumpers <laughs> in that mix. Uh, then we have a, a strong Nigerian community um, that that has been more recent additions. We have some younger uh, white families who have moved uh, to Southwest Houston because it's it's relatively convenient, uh, but they're able to buy homes here. Uh, we have uh, uh, some some Latinos in our community. We have quite a number of of of, um, of folks from Central America uh, who are members of our community here, um, and uh, and it's just it's a it's a really fascinating hodgepodge of folks. And I feel really uh, humbled and honored uh, to get to be the rector here.
1: It's a beautiful description you just gave. And it truly is one of the churches I've been in that is like a a glimpse of the kingdom. Um, I I will say nothing about what it's like to run that (laughs) church But but it is a marvelous sight to behold. Um, and, and I just need to add for context: if there were an infomercial for the city of Houston, um, Patrick Hall would be the host of that infomercial. He is the city's biggest advocate and fan. And um, for my brief time when I lived in Houston, uh, Patrick was an incredible guide to just the many treasures that the incredibly complicated city has to offer. Um, so I I just continue to appreciate your. Perspective on on Houston, Patrick.
2: It's a, it's a really wonderful place. Uh, in some ways, it's uh, it's it's very brutal. I joke that Houston is a, a three dimensional concrete etch a sketch where we just sort of like knock down all of our old concrete and build new concrete every ten years. And while that seems true on the surface, there is so much complexity and so much beauty um, happening underneath what looks to be uh, to be pretty dour uh, when you first arrive. So. Uh, thank you, Beth. I I, I I always try to be a good ambassador for Houston to folks who arrive here because it can look pretty pretty bleak when you first get here, and it takes a while to discover how amazing this place is um, because Houston just doesn't roll out red carpets for anybody. We don't have any red carpets to roll. That's just not, not our
1: priority. Truer words were never spoken, but Patrick is a good person to look up if you ever find yourself in Houston. <laughs> Um all right well I'm I'm going to take us to the topic at hand which is forgiveness and Patrick I'd like to invite you um to begin by reflecting on this question about how the need to forgive and to be forgiven plays a role in your life and ministry um I realize that is a very complex question with many different parts so I just invite you to take it uh wh- wherever you'd like to start um uh, this afternoon
2: I think I'm, I'm really excited to get to have this conversation with you about this question. I, I mean, I, I, about, about this issue of forgiveness. I, I think forgiveness is obviously the core of the Christian gospel, but it's also the core of, of living life in the best way possible. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, the, the reality of the situation is that we are very squishy creatures and we are wandering around in a world that is full of sharp edges. Um, and all of us, we'll encounter those moments in life when the world guts us, when we are profoundly let down by the circumstances around us, by the people that we love, where we're forced to confront that even the things that seem um, the most uncomplicated in their beauty and goodness are actually profoundly complicated uh, and full of things that are neither beautiful nor good. Um, And the way that you survive life in a world like that without being completely demoralized and becoming depressed uh, and unable to function is forgiveness. Uh, you You have to get to a place where you can look at the world for what it is and look at yourself for who you are and look at the people that you love for who they are and forgive the world and yourself and the people you love for the profound complexity of who they are, including the things that make them ugly, including the things uh, that make them cruel or hard-edged or bad. Um, and I say that, I don't, I don't want to gloss over how difficult it is to get to that place, um, especially for those of us who have sustained profound trauma. Getting to that place of forgiving the world and the people in it for, for visiting that trauma upon us can be incredibly difficult. It can be a process that takes years, but I don't think there's any other way. Uh, any other way to no longer be held hostage by our experiences of suffering, except through the door of forgiveness?
1: It's really helpful, and I I wonder um, how you arrived at that truth, how you arrived at that reality. Um, I, I know you you practice have practiced Jungian analysis um, for for years. I wonder if that was a piece of what helped to shape your ability to um, to to live into this Christian truth or how can you kind of shape for us how you've been able to realize that?
2: I I mean, you're definitely barking up the right tree. Um, (laughs) You know, I I should say that uh, I've been in general a pretty lucky person. I'm an only child. I come from a a family of, of sort of upper middle class sociological means. I'm a white person. I'm a man. Uh, so there are, are a number of ways in which I was not introduced to the profound, uh, sharp edges of the world at a young, at a young age. Um, of course, you know, everybody suffers, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter what your skin color is, no matter uh, what, your, what, your, what your gender is. And so, um, and, and what I always tell people is, um, everyone thinks that the amount of suffering they have suffered is enough, that <laughs> um, you're, you're unlikely to ever find anybody in life who's like, you know, I could have suffered more. <laughs> Um, I could have suffered more, right? I mean, you're just not likely to find those people. So, so in general, you don't you don't need to worry about the suffering coming. Uh, and for me, I, I think probably probably the the biggest uh, crucible of suffering for me was my experience of getting married and divorced uh, at a very very well reasonably young age in my in my late 20s, um, around the same time that I got ordained. Um, and so uh, that experience of suffering pushed me into uh, a process of union analysis with. Uh, with a, an Episcopal priest turned union analyst named Pittman McGeehee, um, who uh, was incredibly significant in my development into adulthood. Uh, and what union analysis is all about is, is the practice of integration. In other words, of, of learning that we as people contain paradoxical opposite multitudes, and that the work of becoming a whole person is learning how to be at peace with our multitudinous nature. And our paradoxical nature. Um, and for me, that's what that's that is what forgiveness really is. Um, just learning that learning to be at peace with the fact that we as humans and the humans that we meet and love uh, are, are, are opposites that are sort of <laughs> that are sort of somehow glued together in a single person. Um, and we just have to forgive that about them because there is no the other route is to try to lop off the things about ourselves that we don't like. And that only gives those things more power. Mm -hmm. um in our in our personalities and in our communities and so really for me it was that experience of of getting divorced which surprised me when it happened Um, i am uh i'm a good good i I am what john gottman calls a validator (laughs) Um, i'm someone who is good at, at communicating um and i thought really good at at sort of the kind of diplomatic communication that intimate relationship requires And so to find myself on the other side of a marriage that had ended after only a few years uh, was a real wake up call uh, for me. And it it forced me to uh, really think about everything I thought I knew about myself, uh, everything I thought I knew about how I was encountering other people in the world, um, to work through some pretty deep pain, uh, the way that my divorce amplified a a kind of an abandonment wound from my childhood. Uh, and then take all that into analysis and learn how to how to live with myself and uh, with the with my ex wife uh, and with the world uh, after everything I learned in that experience. I think that that's that's the core uh, epiphany from which my understanding of forgiveness flows.
1: It's really helpful, Patrick. And the the um, I think you use the phrase integration, right? Like integrating your whole self. Um, I, and and i um pitman has also been huge in my life and ministry and and being able to work with him and do that work of integration and continue in that work of integration um and and i i want to share with our listeners that your uh, still unpublished book. I'm going to put in a plug for uh, you to actually publish it. But your the draft of your book, which you so generously shared with me, that I was able to read. Which my recollection is, it's a series of theological reflections on this process of kind of a, a descent into hell and, and then back out again, um, as you reconcile, as you reckon with this process of forgiveness and, and, and wholeness and integration, uh, I, I wonder if you might give us kind of the Christian, um, cause you've talked about the, the analysis piece, the Jungian piece, um, wh- what is really your Christian foundation for, for this work of forgiveness? <clears throat>
2: That's a. I think that's the uh, the most important question of all, and, and I think the answer, obviously, for me is the cross. Um, you know, we just this last Sunday we we read a little bit of of Paul's writing in First First Corinthians where he talks about talks about the cross and how central the cross is to Christian living into Christian practice. Um, but for me, the the primary importance of the cross is really it's it, that it's revelatory. The cross, the cross is the is the best snapshot we get of who God is. Um, and what we discover in the cross is a God who is willing to go to the nth degree of self-sacrifice um, in order to give us, in order to give us a shot, right? In order to give us a shot at being in relationship with God and in relationship with each other. Um, and so, and so uh, that's the, the sort of the, 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 the image of God that, that, that animates my, my Christianity. Um, I don't, I don't I don't think of God without really thinking of the God of the cross, um, and to me, um, when we talk about the Christian gospel, it's the gospel of the cross. In other words, saying to people, "We we are made. We are we are created by a God whose love for us is so foolishly profound that that God uh, is willing to." in in his own in his own body uh, in his own human body bear the consequences of our of our stubborn refusal to be in relationship with him so that we yet could be in relationship with him without bearing those consequences ourselves um, there is there is such a, a profound a, a love that 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 oversteps the bounds of of reason and dignity and um Uh, and, and prudence uh, in the cross. And so for me, that, that is how I think of, of, of how, of what forgiveness is in life, right? It's, it is this sort of like reckless act of um, reckless act of not, not forcing the consequences of people's wrongdoing upon them, uh, because you just love them so much uh, that, that you just can't bear it. Um, And so I, I think, in in my experience of 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 getting divorced i i had to discover anew my need for that god i mean i i think i think up until i my my marriage put a put a mirror in front of my face i i wasn't aware um, of of how profoundly broken i was in terms of my relationships with others how withdrawn i was how um, how, how blind and deaf I was to the suffering of the people with whom I was, I was connected um, and how blind I was to how my own sort of only child way of going in the world um, amplified that suffering for people. Um, the way that I was sort of unconsciously selfish um, and unconsciously not accommodating um, to other people's, to the needs of the people who are around me. Um, and so, as I sort of, with horror, confronted those things, that also meant that I I, I had to be able to take those to God, and had to dis- and discovered in in that in that act of in that repeated act of prayer and relationship that God already knew all those things about me, um, and and <laughs> probably a whole lot of other things that I still haven't haven't had the courage to say are true about me, right? So, um, and so then once I encountered that God. Uh, whose love was, was far more abundant than his desire to hold me accountable. Um, I also understood that it was my job to love other people that way. And so the way that the cross works is that it, I, I sort of imagine it as one of those pyramids of champagne flutes, right? Where you pour champagne into the top one and then it overfills, you know, or flows into all the lower ones. I mean, that's, that's what forgiveness is. The whole idea is that we, in, in astonishment at how much we have been forgiven, cannot help but forgive others. Um, and so there are all of these stories about that, right? I mean, the dishonest manager who just goes around slashing everybody's debts, uh, or the slave who, uh, was supposed to forgive the guy who owed him a small amount of money because his, his, the King had forgiven him for a large amount of money. Right. I mean, the idea is that the forgiveness we receive from God, uh, that flows from the cross just kind of inexorably causes us to become more forgiving to the people who, who owe us in our, in our own lives.
1: There's so much in there, Patrick, that's so rich. I, I just want to ask you, so it sounds to me like a part of what you're saying is that the hard work for you was in learning how to forgive yourself, learning how to, um, the, the, the hard work was the internal work, the internal processing, which then allowed you to encounter this incredibly forgiving and generous God which then changed how you saw the people and 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 the world around you. So it, it shifted, not only did your own inner self shift and your faith shift, but your your engagement with the world around you shifted as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, there is an even, even earlier step, which was becoming aware of, of, of my need for, uh, becoming aware of the things that should grieve me about myself. Yeah. Um, so I, I, would say sort of going into my first marriage, there was a lot of, of blindness on my part, which is not an unusual. I mean, I'm not, I think un, unnaturally beating myself up. I got married, uh, for the first time when I was like, I don't even remember how young I was 20, 22 or 23, you know, I mean, y- you worked with college students. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's not a whole lot of like self-awareness, um, even, even among, among kids who, you know, were or, or sort of precocious, which I certainly was at that age. Um. So I, I had to initially come to be aware of the of the <laughs> damage that I was doing uh, in the world, and then it was that that grief over the damage that I was doing indeed that led me to the cross. And 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 once I realized that I was forgiven by God, then forgiving myself became easier. Um, but until I realized that God had already baked all this in, right? It's like it's already covered. He are you know I mean I I, I often talk about God as standing outside of time, which means that for God, past, present, and future are all unfolding simultaneously. So what that means is that there is never been or ever will be a point at which you could do anything that surprises God. Um, and so, and so once I sort of got to that place of realizing that I was forgiven by God, it was easier to, to, to forgive myself because who am I to, who am I to hold myself accountable for that, which God has already, has already been accountable for on my behalf. Um, and so, right, and then once that forgiveness, once, once you're past that, once you're, once you're to the place where you no longer need to pretend that you don't need to be forgiven and are no longer endlessly grieved by the things for which you need to be forgiven, that releases something in you and you're able to move into the world in a freer way, you know, more free to recognize in other people those things that, that they need to be forgiven for and also more free to forgive them
1: for those things. That's really helpful. Really, really helpful. Um, what you've described is is so profound, and and yet I know it's not simple. Uh, and I just want to name that and say I know this is a this is a very involved and um, intense process that you've that you've named for us. I'm wondering if you might have a story to share or um, or, or any thoughts to reflect on on how um, or a time when this when the inability to forgive left a lasting impact and and what that was like.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly tied into all of this. I mean, I think um, <clears throat> you know, probably the my experience in life of 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 really struggling to get to forgiveness, I mean, probably would be my experience of divorce, my ex-wife. I feel like that was the last thing, right? Forgiving myself was the beginning of the process and it probably took me you know, I've been divorced. I got divorced in 2009. It's it's 2021 now. I'm, I'm remarried. But it, it probably took me took me a decade, you know, um, took me a decade or more to get to that place of complete forgiveness uh, for my ex-wife. I say that, I mean, we're not in contact. We don't have kids. So it's not like this was a an issue that was cropping up. I mean, for a lot of divorced people who have children, you know, um, the, the process is a lot more complicated because there are so many Intimate maneuvers, right, that are involved in co-parenting that can exacerbate um, those those narratives of grievance uh, that you carry with you. Everyone carries with you out of a divorce. So for me, um, forgiving her, which was sort of the, the 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 hardest act of forgiveness I've probably had to accomplish in my life, I wasn't able to do that until I could I could contextualize our divorce and the pain that I experienced in our divorce. In a positive way Mm -hmm. and and that required getting remarried and I know that that's not true for everybody uh, but for me I had to be able to say I'm so happy in in being married to Julia now who's my, my wife now and there's no way that I would have married Julia without going through my experience of getting divorced from from my first wife and also I would not be the husband that I am today to Julia if I, if I hadn't gone through the experience of being destroyed by a really toxic first marriage in and a, and a divorce. And so now I kind of look at my first wife and I look at that marriage as something in a weird way that I'm profoundly grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the forgiveness movement, right? The forgiveness movement was just releasing whatever last little bits of like sort of ruminating anger were there in my, in my psyche and getting to that place of saying like, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't been there. And I, I'm so grateful for getting to be here that I just don't have any negativity left for having been there. Yeah. Um, And I think that's the final movement of for healing for people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, and I'm sure you would say the same as a, as a pastor. That's where you, when you deal with people who have been injured or traumatized, that's what you want for them, is to get to that place where, where life on the other side is so abundant um, that it, it gives them all of this headroom um, to, be, to be grateful for the profound wounds that they experienced, um, which isn't to, to, to denigrate those wounds, right? But ju- To just say that the experience of moving through those and becoming resilient on the other side of them um, leaves you in a, in a place where forgiveness is possible.
1: It reminds me of you know the how can we appreciate um, kind of the light and the hope that comes with resurrection if we haven't sat in the darkness of the shadow of the cross and 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 that that kind of progression that you're just speaking of in a personal way from really lingering in the shadow of the cross for the better part of a decade. To yeah. then being able to move over to the other side and look back and have a different perspective on it, and to see the sun rising in a different way. Um, I'm mixing terrible metaphors here, but but the cross is at the center I, of they're it.
2: They're the same metaphors Paul mixes, so I think you're <laughs> fine. Um,
1: no, I, I really I really appreciate you uh, helping us to connect the two because I think there's a lot of times um, and and to, and to naming how much time it took for you. Um, and yeah, I think
2: that's that a, man, went. that's such an important thing to say. I, I think one of the things I find over and over again as a pastor, and you probably have experienced the same, is that people are in such a hurry.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, to get out of the shadow of the cross,
1: it's uncomfortable, Patrick. <laughs> and and like,
2: who can blame them, right? I mean, it sucks. Like, it's 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 a painful place to be to walk with a limp. Um, the problem is often. That that, that that process happens on its own time scale and it's, it's really outside of our power to change the time scale. Um, and, and all attempts at changing the time scale tend only to elongate it. <laughs> um, and, and so I, 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 think, I think that, and I've said this to people actually going through divorce I've, had, I've been lucky enough and uh, to counsel folks who have gone through a similar experience, many of them more devastating and much more complicated than mine. But what I always say to them is like, just don't, don't use the whole gearbox at first, right? I mean, just, just be happy with first and second gear and know that this process is gonna take a while. Yeah. You know, profound trauma, whatever form it takes. I mean, whether it, it, it's being... Uh, being yourself injured by someone else or a a divorce or losing someone that you love uh, to death or or losing a job or a career or or a, a, you know, a a diagnosis. I mean, whatever it is, the timescale for grief um, and moving into uh, wholeness will be longer than you wish it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And just giving yourself permission to move slow, I think is really important.
1: We're in such a hurry I find. Uh, and so the reminder to move slowly and, and the grace that, that accompanies God time, God's timeline, uh, and not our own that that's also a really helpful reminder. Thank you. Uh, I want to end our time together this afternoon. I could talk to you all afternoon about these things and so many more, but, um, did you have a chance to take a look at the Coventry, uh, litany of reconciliation? We were spending a lot of time with that at St. Michael's this season. And so I'm just wondering if there's a line or a phrase that you found particularly challenging or convicting or something that, that jumped out at you.
2: Yeah, I, I have obviously seen this, um, I've seen this litany before, you know, I know that, um, that, that it's been sort of um, b- bouncing around our church quite a bit uh, in the last couple of years, which I, I think is great. Um, I think the ones, that, the ones that there are a couple of lines that really jump out at me from, uh, from the litany. One of them is, is this, uh, it's the, let's see, one, two, three, it's the fourth clause, our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. You know, I, I think that, that we live in a profoundly, um, profoundly materialistic, late capitalistic society. Um, and our society runs on covetousness. The idea being that, um, that you, you know, it's what um, Rene Girard would call mimetic desire. You see someone who has a thing and you want the thing that they have. And, and, and wanting what someone else has is the engine of our economy, but it's also poisonous to our souls. Um, and so getting out of that framework where we think of life as a zero-sum game, and by that I mean, if I have something you don't, or if you have something I don't, learning instead to think about life as flowing infinitely from the fount of God's grace um, that is an absolutely essential move, both for being able to forgive, uh, but also being able to live a happy life. Um, we have to, to learn to let our eyes settle on the things we have and not on what other people have. Um, and our society does everything in its power not, not to let us do that. Um, and so that was the first thing that jumped out. And then the other is just the, the image from the very end of the litany of what forgiveness looks like, kindness, kindness, tenderheartedness and recognizing that our forgiveness begins with God and Christ forgiving us. I just, I can't, can't think of a better one sentence summary of what a Christian life should, should be, you know, than that.
1: Yeah. That's so helpful. And, and I, um, I miss your, uh, your witty and not so gentle reminders about the economy in which we live and move and have our being. (laughs) So I appreciate you. I appreciate you bringing that um, to the surface and just naming it for us, because I do find that is something we, no matter what context you find yourself in, it is such a struggle. I mean, we found it with college students. I find it in the parish with absolutely every age. Um, And, and it's, it is just a constant barrage of, how do we ground ourselves in God and and not in these other narratives? Um, So thank you for naming that Patrick. Yeah. This uh, has been wonderful. I'm so grateful for your generosity in sharing your story and your perspectives and uh, just the wisdom and the experiences you have gained along the way. I, as always have learned so much from you, and I'm so grateful that our listeners will benefit from hearing your story. So thank you, Patrick.
2: Well, thank you, and, and thank you, Beth, for, for letting me do this. Forgiveness is such a wonderful topic, and it will make my week lighter and better for having gotten to talk with you about it. So um, thank you so much for for having me, and um, and it's wonderful to reconnect. We, we miss you down in Texas very much.
1: I miss you, my friend, and I hope you have a very holy Lent.
2: All right. Thanks, Beth. You too.
1: All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The hatred which divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class, Father, forgive. The covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own, Father, forgive. The greed which exploits the work of human hands and lays waste the earth, Father, forgive. Our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. Father, forgive. Our indifference to the plight of the imprisoned, the homeless, the refugee. Father, forgive. The lust which dishonors the bodies of men, women, and children. Father, forgive. The pride which leads us to trust in ourselves and not in God. Father, Forgive. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you.